Okay, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16. Matthew 20, verses 1 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who went out early in the morning to hire laborers for his vineyard. After agreeing with the laborers for a denarius a day, he sent him into his vineyard. And going out, going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. And to them he said, you go into the vineyard too, and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went, going out again about the sixth hour, and the ninth hour, he did the same. And about the eleventh hour, he went out and found others standing. And he said to them, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. And when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. And when those hired about the eleventh hour came, each of them received a denarius. Now when those hired first, they thought, uh, now when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. But each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, These last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. But he replied to one of them, Friend, I am doing you no wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give this to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So the last will be first, and the first last. The story of the workers' wages. Okay, so we're going to look at this story, this parable of the workers' wages. Um, and uh, we're going to think about God's grace to us and our relationship with God's grace and things like that. Okay, so first... Reading from verse 1, we'll look at the need for grace. The need for grace. Again, in verse 1, Jesus says, For the kingdom of heaven, for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of the house and so on. Okay, so Jesus is teaching about the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, This is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And Jesus needed to teach us the kingdom of heaven because the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth are so different. The way that we think is so different from the way that God thinks. The way the, the way that things work here in the kingdom of earth is so different from how things work in the kingdom of heaven. How God works, how God thinks, it's just not what we expect many times. So unless Jesus tells us, we won't think like this. We won't live like this. It's just not natural to us. And so that's why Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like... And then he presents to us a paradigm that's almost foreign to us. Now, in this story, the owner of the vineyard hires people to work in his vineyard. He goes out early in the morning, maybe around 6 a.m., and he hires some people who are waiting to be hired. They agree on a denarius, which was a typical wage for a day's work. And then it says in verse 3, and going out about the third hour, he saw others standing idle in the marketplace. He said to them, you go into the vineyard too. 
and whatever is right, I will give you. So they went. So again, the owner goes out, not only at 6 a.m., but he goes out a few hours later, right? So maybe like nine, uh, 9 in the morning, and he sees people who have not been hired yet. And so he says, don't just stand there, come work for me. He doesn't tell them exactly how much he's going to pay them, but he only promises to give them what is right. So they're probably expecting, okay, I didn't start in the beginning of this day, so they're probably expecting to be paid proportionally to how much they've worked. Continuing on in verse 5, going out again, 6th hour, ninth hour, he did the same. About the 11th hour, he went out, found others standing. He, did this, he said to them, why are you standing here idle all day? Because no one has hired us, he said to them, you go into the vineyard too. So he does this repeatedly, goes out again at noon, 3 p.m., finally at 5 p.m., hires more workers. Workers who are going to be paid nothing today because no one had hired them. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, call the laborers, pay them their wages, beginning with the last up to the first. So obviously uh, the wages are distributed on the same day, and everyone can see what everyone else is getting paid. Verse 9, when those hired about the 11th hour came, each of them received a denarius. And we can imagine what a complete surprise this must have been to these workers and to everyone else who were standing there. They were expecting to get a small fraction of a denarius, but they got a full day's wage after working for just one hour. So at the center of this story, we have to understand, is a very generous vineyard owner. That's the center of the story. He freely gave to these workers what they did not work for. And that's the definition of grace, right? The workers receive what they did not receive, what, what they did not deserve by the grace of the master. We don't know exactly why the master went out and got more workers throughout the day, but it almost seems like in the story, it almost seems like he was looking for a reason to give. Because at the end of the day for him, it has nothing to do with how long his workers worked. His goal simply was to be generous. And that's the center, that's the starting point of this parable, that there's vineyard, this vineyard owner is generous. And that's the center starting point of understanding this parable, that in the kingdom of heaven, we have a generous master, that what we receive from God is not because of what we do, but only by the grace of God. Now, with that in mind, I think we misunderstand this parable if we think that it was only the later workers who received what they didn't deserve, while the first workers received what they earned. Because in verse 6, right, it's 5 p.m., and their master asks, why do you stand here idle all day? They said to him, because no one has hired us. You see, everyone's goal was to be, was to be hired. So the first, first ones hired and the last ones hired have this in common, that they were all privileged to have been hired. They all would have received nothing had the master not hired them. It's true that the later workers received more proportionally than the earlier workers, but they were all fortunate to have been chosen regardless of when they were chosen. 
they all receive from this generous master. I remember when I was sitting in my seminary class one time, and my professor, uh, it was Dr. Zimmerman, if you were at OIL, he was the professor that I'm thinking of right now. He said something in class one day that was really startling to me. He said that there's no difference between any of us, right, any of us seminarians preparing to be pastors. He said there's no difference between any of us and a serial killer except for the grace of God. So he was saying, if it was not for the grace of God, I would be no different than the worst sinner in the world. I heard him say that, and uh, I, didn't, I, I didn't say anything out loud, but in my heart, I objected. I remember that. I, it was startling to me when, he, when, when I heard that. I objected in my heart. I was like, no way. That cannot be true. Of course, now... I absolutely agree with that statement, but back then it was surprising to hear because I saw my life compared to some other people and I thought I was better than them. Because I thought I thought I was because I thought I was better than some people, that means that I thought I deserved the good things that I received from God more than others deserved those things. So I didn't really understand the concept of God's grace. I thought God's grace, even though the definition I knew in seminary was something that is undeserved, I thought God's grace was something that I deserved to some degree. But grace means grace. It's 100% undeserved. Because left to ourselves, every single one of us, I am no different, no better than the worst sinner in the world. And that's what this parable is showing us. Some of us might have started in this life of following God. Some of us might have started at 9 a.m. Some of us started at 5 p.m. So some of us look a little more polished on the outside than others. But in our nature, we're all the same. We're all sinners in need of grace. So this is, this is what we have to first see to understand this parable. That two such sinners... To all of us, no matter what we look like on the outside, to sinners who are no better than the worst sinner in the world, to such sinners, God is that generous. God is a gracious God. He's unreasonably gracious. Okay? He's unreasonably gracious, meaning his grace is unreasonable. There's no explanation for it. That he's a God who offers mercy to sinners who do not deserve it. That grace isn't just some principle or theological thought. That God's grace is something that we all need and God is willing to give it. God's grace is real and it's actually the daily experience in our lives because of Jesus Christ, because God is a gracious God. So that's the starting point, the, the grace of God. He's a generous God, master up in heaven, and all of us have a need for grace. Secondly, entitled to grace. Verse 10, now, when those hired first came, they thought they would receive more. 
but each of them also received a denarius. And on receiving it, they grumbled at the master of the house, saying, these last workers only worked one hour. You have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the day and the scorching heat. Now, this is so interesting, isn't it? A moment ago, they were happy knowing that they'll go home with the denarius. But now a denarius is a disappointment. They worked all day feeling lucky that they were hired, anticipating that they'll get a denarius. And when they do receive it, it's not enough. Their expectations have changed. So they start grumbling. I worked longer. I suffered more. So I should get more. Now, before we start pointing our fingers at these workers, we kind of do similar things all the time. For, for example, it could be something simple as you're about to go out and get fast food. And then your friend says, oh, I just came back from, like, I had steak. So now McDonald's seems disappointing to you. You want something better. Right? That's just a silly example, but that's so common, something that we can all relate to. You see, you see like everything happening to, to, to other people's lives, how they're progressing in their lives, in their careers, the kind of vacations that they're able to go on. And eventually, the thankful attitude turns into a grumbling spirit. God, why aren't you doing these kind of thing, things in my life? See, not, like not too many good things happen in our lives when we start comparing ourselves with other people, but we still do it. And that's what seems to be going on with these workers. When it was just themselves and the owner, right? When when it was just, when they were just thinking about themselves relative to the owner, then everything was fine. A denarius was great. But now when it's themselves and then other workers and the owner, a denarius is no longer enough. They compared and saw themselves as deserving more than the later workers because they worked so hard, because they worked so much longer. They came to this point where they twisted the master's generosity and now they felt entitled to the master's grace. I'm going to show you uh, this video. I went to Abel's band concert a few weeks ago, right? So Mounds View Band. So in this concert, it was at the high school it was a combined event. There, was, uh, there were fifth graders, eighth graders, and then high schoolers combined in this uh, Mounds View band concert. And obviously, Abel's a fifth grader. Um, let me show you. So I, you know, I took some videos. So this is Abel's group, like the, the band, fifth grade graders playing back here. Let me show you this video real quick. And this is uh, the eighth graders. And then this is the high schoolers. Show you the fifth graders one more time. 
I showed this to Christine for the first time today. <laughs> She's like cracking up. Like, this is the fifth graders. Oh, cute. And these are the eighth graders. <laughs> she started dying. <laughs> okay, so obviously, the eighth graders have been playing longer than the fifth graders. And the high schoolers have been playing longer than the eighth graders. So obviously, they're more skilled, and they sound better. And the thing is, we apply that same principle to the kingdom of God. We apply that kingdom of earth principle to the kingdom of heaven. I worked harder than you. I worked longer than you. I'm just better than you. So I'm more deserving than you. So it makes sense, perfect sense, that I should be loved by God more than you. And we do this kind of thing because it's so natural to our hearts. And we end up having this warped view of the master's grace as if I have some special claim to God's grace in my life because of who I am or, or what I've done. Maybe there was a time when you felt so privileged to have been chosen by God. You thought, wow, I can't believe God loves me. I can't believe God chose me. I can't believe God wants to use me. What an amazing thing that is. But some years go by and some you know, some ups and downs and some experiences, and that gratitude is replaced by grumbling, wanting something new, something more from God. And it's amazing how we can get to that point where we start feeling entitled to a certain kind of treatment from God because God's grace isn't grace anymore. It becomes something that I feel entitled to. Now, the flip side of this entitled grace is thinking that the grace that I receive from God, that I receive from God, that I deserve, the flip side of that is now too good for others. They say in verse 12, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us. So they have a problem with how the master is treating the later workers. They're saying, that's too much grace for them. They don't deserve that much grace, which ultimately again shows that they believe grace is something that's earned. And through this parable, Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is not like that. The master is not like that. God's grace is not filtered to come to those who are worthy. God is generous. Remember, we said that's, this, that's the starting point. That's at the center of this understanding this parable. God is that generous. He's gracious, unreasonably gracious. God offers mercy to sinners who do not deserve it. And these earlier workers didn't understand that. We like to talk about grace, right? Like we say things like, it's only by the grace of God. And that's such a common phrase. We say that all the time. It's only by the grace of God. God's grace is so amazing. But now, like, when we say, like, do we really believe that? When we talk about the grace of God, that it's, that it's so amazing. We don't really believe that God's grace is amazing if we think that it, it applies to some people, not others. Right? If it applies to some sins and not others. It can't be that amazing because they don't deserve it. It makes us feel uneasy 
when we hear some people say things like, we need to pray for the, that, that person, that leader of the, the, the worst terrorist group in the world. When someone says, like, we need to pray for them, pray that they come to know Christ. Something about that makes us feel uneasy because somewhere in our hearts we think that evil terrorist doesn't deserve grace. Right? This amazing grace of God is not amazing enough to be given to that person. But if God's grace is that amazing, it should make sense in every situation. Right? Even in that situation. So we don't really believe that God's grace is that amazing if we think God's grace should be given to others in limited measures. You see, the fact that God is generous, what we see in this parable, the fact that God is generous means that God is generous to others. It's one thing to say God is generous to me, how amazing the grace of God. We like that, but he's generous to others. And one of the Common ways that God tests whether we really know him, trust him, is by showing us that he's generous to others. How we respond when we see God being gracious to others really reveals our own understanding of gospel grace. I think this is really important to understand because not only is it difficult for us to relate to God from a place of entitled grace, but it's really difficult for us to to minister to others from a place of entitled grace because that that attitude of entitlement to God's grace produces all kinds of distortions. My sin becomes too small while other sins become too big. It's too easy to feel self-righteous when I think about that person relative to me. It gets too hard to forgive others for the wrong they've done to me from that position of entitled grace. It distorts all kinds of, it, it creates all kinds of distortions that makes it like really difficult to live out the Christian life. Those are some of the dangers of failing to see what God has done for me while probably seeing what I'm doing for God. It's the danger of failing to remember that that I'm a failure, that I'm a sinner in need of grace. And we need to always remember that when we were unemployed, when we were without options, the generous master reached out and chose us to receive mercy by his grace. Entitled to grace. Thirdly, lastly, the master's unfair justice. The story continues, verse 13. But he replied to one of them, okay, so they object. How can this, this be happening? He replied to one of them, friend, uh, friend, I'm doing you no wrong. Do not agree with me for denarius. Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. I'm not, am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? So in response to their grumbling, the master basically says, I can give as I choose. He gently reminds them that they have no right to take issue with how how generous he is because it's the master's right to spend his own money how he wants. In other words, regardless of what we think, God is the only one who gets to decide 
who does or doesn't receive his mercy. And we have no right to tell God how to distribute his grace. So there are many different ways that this, this can be relevant to us. Even if we think about like the common situation where someone offends you, right? And then now like we're in that position to forgive them. We might be tempted to put all kinds of conditions on that forgiveness, right? Like, so in that kind of situation, we, like, we think a lot of different things like, do they realize what they've done wrong? Do they really realize what they've done wrong? Are they really sorry for what they've done? Have they really learned their lesson? Right? These are the conditions that we have before, oh, I forgive you. Like, are these things set in their proper place? It's as if we want to determine if that person is worthy enough to receive forgiveness. But the Bible never says forgive someone if they meet your conditions. The Bible says forgive others as God has forgiven you, which obviously is not after having met conditions. So in those kind of situations, when we think like that, we're trying to play the role of God but only God gets to determine who gets grace or who gets judgment. That's God's part. It's the same. I thought of another example. It's the same if I see, like um, on the news, like if I see a serial child molester and I say, that person should get the needle. Like, like someone really like terrible, right? And I, I, I feel what I feel and so I think, like, that person should get the needle. Or that person should be castrated first and then get the needle. This parable says, I have no right to think like that. Because only God has that place. God is the only one who gets to decide who does or doesn't receive mercy. And I have no right to tell God how to give out his grace. This also applies in today's social climate where the pursuit of social justice is a high priority, which is a good thing. But in that pursuit, there's a tendency to mix up our role and God's role. For example, we have our own opinions of particular government leaders in positions of influence. And of course, when we disagree, disapprove, we think, how can that person be in that position? How can that person do that? And we want to see justice executed in the way that we see fit. But regardless of how we feel about them, the Bible says we're called to submit, right? We're called to submit to those institutions and to pray for them because God put them there. So in all of those examples, we're often like those morning workers when we look at certain people or situations and we think that's not right. This parable says only God is God, and only God has the right to judge. God can use whomever he chooses to, and he can distribute his grace however he wants. Remember, we said the key to understanding this parable is that the master is unreasonably generous. Unreasonably generous. And if God is unreasonably generous, then there are going to be situations that seem unreasonable to us. Situations where it seems like God is just too gracious. 
because God is unreasonably generous. That might not resonate with well with us all the time, but again, the paradigm of the kingdom of heaven is often different from what we're inclined to think because the kingdom of heaven is different than what it is like in the kingdom of earth. Thus, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like, and he gives us a new paradigm. So this parable helps us to evaluate, helps us to evaluate how we see others or situations around us, and as we do that, it really points us to our own hearts. It helps us to see what God is like, and it also helps us to see that we're often not like God. Again, in verse 12, he says, these last workers worked, uh, these last worked only one hour, and you have made them equal to us, who have borne the burden of the day, scorching heat. So these earlier workers are saying that this situation isn't entirely fair. Yes, we're getting what we agreed to, but it's not fair because those workers are getting the same amount. They work less, and you have made them equal to us. And they shouldn't be equal to us. So they're fine, right? Like, so if you think about this, they're fine receiving a denarius. They just don't want those later guys to also get a denarius. If I get a denarius, they should get less. If they get a denarius, I should get more. So it's not really about the amount. They just want to get more than them. So even though they're saying this isn't fair, it's really not about fair or not fair. It's really not about just or not just. The pursuit of what is just is really a cover for their selfish and selfishness and lack of love. And that's important to see even in our own hearts because that kind of justice seeking without love is not like God. Even in our interactions with other people around us, even when someone offends us and we're seeking what is just, just without love is not like God. We saw that. We saw an example of that when we studied earlier in the, the life of David, the story of David and Nabal in 1 Samuel chapter 25. David treated Nabal well. Nabal and his men, like, or his, uh, his flock, David treated Nabal well, but Nabal returned David's evil, David, David's good with evil. He treated David terribly. So David desires justice in that situation, which I guess is fine, but in his desire for justice, he's about to go and kill Nabal and wipe out his entire household until he's stopped by Abigail. That's why many people name their daughters Abigail because she's, you know, beautiful and wise. Oh, cute girl, Abigail, right? So so the desire for justice, right? Like David had the desire for justice. You know, I treated him well. He's treating me like this, repaying good for evil. That desire for justice in a heart that's not motivated by love produces just anger. And that's the characteristic of justice-seeking that we might see around us, but that does not fit with the heart of God. Um, everyone's, you know, thinking, worried about 
coronavirus these days. One of my Facebook friends posted this very recently. <laughs> okay, I don't know what you think of this. I'll read it. And then I, don't, I guess you don't have to tell me, but you'll know what you think of this. Like, so tell yourself what you think of this. So this is, I'm reading it word for word. This is what he said, okay? He goes, to my Asians. <laughs> so he's an Asian. Um, I, I guess he means to my Asian friends. To my Asians, um, to my Asians posting that they are being racially profiled and unfairly being avoided because of the coronavirus. He goes, dude, people are scared. Just eat the L. It's not that bad. For goodness sake, can we not be like everyone else and whine every time the slightest hardship comes? Jeez, get off my feet, please. Okay, so, and then his sister goes, what is eat the L? And then, uh, and then he said, oh, that's just eat the laws. So, so basically he's saying, yes, I know there's unfair criticism and racism toward Asians going around right now because of this situation. But he's saying, be like Jesus and just take the racism. I don't know. What do you think of that? Be like, I mean, you can't argue with be like Jesus, right? Be like Jesus and just take the racism. So I read that and I kind of chuckled. Because obviously it's not a popular thing to say. But I mean, you can't really argue with that, right? It's true. Because that's what Jesus did. Jesus absorbed the unjust hatred and did not retaliate. They treated him like he had the coronavirus and the Budweiser virus and all kinds of viruses, and, and he did not retaliate. Rather, trusted himself to the Father, who is the judge. So our pursuit of what is right and just must align with the heart of God. Even in your interactions with one another, in your family relationships, whatever conflicts we come across, our pursuit of what is right and just must align with the heart of God. It's God. It's God who joined perfect justice and perfect love in perfect harmony on the cross. Right? God's holy justice was unleashed on the cross as Jesus bore the wrath of God. And then his loving grace flowed out from that same cross to undeserving sinners who, who would trust in Christ. Perfect justice, perfect love, in perfect harmony on the cross. And that's why verse 16 is the paradigm of the kingdom of heaven. Here's a new paradigm that Jesus is teaching to people who live according to the paradigm of the kingdom of earth. The last will be first and the first last. Jesus, who was innocent, became guilty. He became last, obeying the Father to the point of death on the cross. Therefore, God exalted him. Therefore, it's at the name of Jesus every knee will bow. And that is also now why the last will be first, and the first will be last. This means that failures and sinners can come to the holy God and receive grace. Because Jesus died, 
and was resurrected. Now failures and sinners can come to a holy God and receive grace. Because in this kingdom paradigm, God wants what God wants from us is not a sinless heart, but a broken heart. The worst sinner can now repent and be first in the kingdom of heaven. This is also why we can eat the L in unjust situations in our lives. Whenever someone wrongs us, those who trust in Jesus Christ can absorb racism or all kinds of wrong things that this fallen world gives to them in the strength that God provides, trusting in God who is the judge. Because we know that the last will be first and the first will be last. So now, if you still feel like there's something about this parable that's not right, right, you look at this parable, you still feel like something about this is not right, you're not alone. Even as I was thinking about this parable, like over and over again, like I was kind of like going around in circles. Yes, this is what Jesus is saying. Yes, this is what, what, what it means. But I was still going around in circles because there's something about this story that doesn't seem quite right. But the first workers did earn their wage. Don't they have a right to complain? So like there's, you know, part of me like, oh, I understand, but, but. And so I'm coming to this like but, but conclusion. And many people would think like that. And I think that's the point of this parable. If you feel that something about this paradigm, this parable is not right, this parable is saying that there's something about the reader of this parable that's not right. That the kingdom of heaven is not natural to us. That we have so much to learn of the kingdom master. We have so much to even relinquish as we think about following Christ. We have so much to relinquish to truly understand and truly trust in his grace alone. I'll finish with this thought. I've always played basketball with my kids in the driveway, in the gym, playing one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and now our oldest... I think about him like I always used to beat him when he was little. It was just too easy. And so when it was like that, I used to bet him things, right, to get like free massage. Hey, let's play one-on-one. -on -one. Hey, dad beats you, you know, and then we negotiate. And I try to like use that to get free massage. And then as we played, I'd say, someday maybe you can beat dad. And I'd like, you know, dangle this carrot and give him hope and, like, try to, like, okay. And I go, but, you know, that probably won't happen for a long time, maybe when you're in college or something. But then one dark day a couple of years ago, <laughs> he beat me for the first time. He was 5'3", 13-year-old, and I was really trying. So after that, like he wanted to play me all the time so he can bet and win, win something. And now, like, he doesn't really even want to play me anymore. <laughs> Probably because, like, not enough competition for him or something. And so, you know, I thought about that. 
and honestly, I like I wonder like how did this come so fast? How did this day come so fast? I thought for sure I had a few more years. Then it occurred to me, like this was a real revelation for me. It occurred to me, so I always like, okay, I thought, you know, maybe like when you're, you know, senior in high school, maybe, you know, like you can beat me. So I was kind of like gauging, thinking about like every year he's improving, right? Okay, I'm, I'm still better than him. I'm still taller than him. I can still, you know, like um, box him out with my rear end and stuff like that. And so like, like so I'm thinking like he's going to get taller. He's going to get better. And so like I'm gauging, okay, so maybe by this year he can beat me. That's how I always thought. And then it occurred to me, yes, he's getting better, but I'm getting worse. That's why this came so early. I realized, like, I'm getting older, I'm getting slower, and I'm getting larger, right? And so, like, that was like a, oh, I didn't account for that. Oh, that's so true. And I realized that's often my problem. Often my problem because I'm usually my default reference point. Oh, if I think a situation is good, then it's good. If I think a situation is bad, someone treated me bad, then it's bad. But you see, I'm not a good reference point because I'm fallible. I'm selfish. I'm biased. And that's what this parable is teaching us. We think we matter too much. We're too used to seeing life through our own lens. Our default mode is to play God and expect everyone else to fall in line because I'm the default reference point. So we need to humble ourselves, repent, and realign our eyes through God's kingdom paradigm. The last will be first, and the first will be last. God is not looking for righteous people, righteous hearts, but God wants broken hearts. God wants broken people who realize their need for the grace of God. Broken people who not only see their own need for the grace of God, but who will now readily forgive others as God has forgiven us. Pray that we'll start there as we begin this retreat. We'll take up, talk about a lot of different things tomorrow, and you know, we'll cover different topics and things like that. I pray that we will start there, evaluating ourselves, looking into our own hearts, and really aligning ourselves properly with the heart of God. Let's pray together.